Okay, uh, let's turn to Acts uh, chapter 8, uh, starting in verse uh, 26. And we're going to uh, continue uh, on here in the book of Acts. Uh, just to give you a little heads up, at this point in Acts, uh, in chapter 8 here, it, it's a slight turning point, so to speak, or uh, a, a, a different section. And what I mean by that is um, we're about to see, enter into three accounts of three different uh, conversion stories, three specific different conversion stories. This morning we're going to look at the Ethiopian eunuch and discover uh, that uh, situation. Uh, the next chapter is Paul or Saul and his conversion. And after that, uh, in chapter 10, there's an individual, uh, Cornelius, uh, who is converted uh, there. And so this, with the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, marks um, uh, maybe a more focused, uh, more narrow attention on what God is, is doing uh, as he's uh, raising up his church. If you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. I'll read through verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandik, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. Who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch came down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip, however, however appeared and asked us, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Caesarea. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we ask as we hear this account of this man and how you use Philip, that it would give us insight into our own lives, what it means to be a, a disciple, what it means to hear your gospel, and what it means to uh, talk about your gospel. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. While we were uh, living in Mississippi, we uh, lived on the western side of the state, uh, on the river, and all that to say we were... Um, relatively close to New Orleans, about four to five hours if that's close, but close enough to say, hey, let's, let's go down there uh, for an extended uh, weekend. And so we got the kids, we loaded up the car, and we drove down. 
we had a hotel uh, reserved and got settled in there. The first day, we just saw the sights of the city, you know, walking around uh, that city, driving around. Uh, I think there was a, a ferry boat ride. There was a trolley ride. There was all kinds of stores and places to eat and kind of all kinds of stuff to walk around and see. Next day, it rained, okay, kind of a bummer, but... Uh, we were resilient. We went to the Children's Museum, then we went to see a movie. And if you would ask the kids on the way home, you know, what was your favorite part? Uh, they probably wouldn't have said, you know, oh, Daddy, the city was so beautiful. Loved all the architecture, so unique. Uh, they probably wouldn't have talked about the Children's Museum, or maybe they would have mentioned the movie. Guaranteed they would have talked about the hotel. Dad, the best part of our trip was the hotel we stayed in. Beds they can jump on back and forth. I mean, who can compete with the little card that you can pull in and out to unlock and lock your door, getting inside, in and out of your room? Uh, there's the elevator buttons, endless entertainment, the elevator buttons uh, that they are for those kids. Uh, elevator going up and down. The pool. I mean, that has to be the climax of the whole time there is going to that pool. Uh, it didn't matter if it was five-star, one-star hotel, if it had a pool, and it had the little key cards and two beds, and uh, we were good to go. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. We could have driven 20 minutes, and we could have had the, the best vacation of our lives there. And I get it. I was a kid when we traveled. Uh, I love going to the hotel, and I love, you know, what's the pool going to be like? In that situation, it's all asked about, all I talked about. The simple thing of a hotel. As adults, we take that for granted, but kids, that's just the simplest thing is the most beautiful thing the most amazing thing to behold. You can look at this passage, and it's easy to think, you know, this is just a simple account of conversion. There's not much to see here. Uh, we've, we've seen it before. We've heard about it before. It's just a simple account. That may be true. It may be a straightforward account. But you've got to think, well, why is Luke, the author of Acts, including it here? I mean, if you're the early church and you've got leaders who are healing people, uh, there's got to be tons of good stories of lives turned around. And yet Luke says, you know what? I want to write about the Ethiopian eunuch. And if he's writing about it, and if it's here, there must be some things to teach us, to show us. And so what I want to do, my outline is simple, okay? You may feel gypped this morning because you're only getting two main points, okay? We're going to talk about uh, Philip, and we're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, and what do these individuals have to teach us about the nature of conversion, how God saves, and how God may want to use us uh, in the lives of other people? So let's think about uh, Philip here first. Philip is a front lines kind of guy. Uh, we were introduced to him early on. We saw last week, if you were here, when we looked at the beginning of chapter 8, uh, Philip has got some skills as an apologist and as evangelist for the gospel. And here he is doing ministry in Samaria, uh, preaching, teaching, uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, God comes to him and says, you know what, I want you to go to this place, to this desert uh, region. And if you're Philip, you're like, okay. And he just goes. We don't know why he's going there. Philip has no idea what he's entering into. It could be amazing. Uh, it could be incredibly difficult. Uh, he does know in the back of his mind that there are people like Saul, later Paul, who are looking for Christians, looking to arrest and, and put them in jail. Is he going to be exposed to that kind of stuff? What is going to happen? He has 
No idea. But as readers, we know. We know the end of the story. Uh, We know how it goes and how it ends, how it has a, a positive ending, if you will. But even, yes, we know that, but there's more that we know. In Acts chapter 1, 1, 8, as we've looked at before, God has more in mind. It's no surprise that the plan of God is to push this gospel out from Jerusalem to these other cities and towns all the way to the ends of the earth. He has a big picture, a big mindset. This is where I want my gospel to go. This is where I want my good news to go. We're not surprised that Philip has having this random kind of thing happen to him. But Philip may be surprised. He doesn't necessarily know what he's about to walk into. Because think about it from his perspective. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I'm going to meet and who I'm not going to meet. I don't know what's going to happen after that. But the thing for Philip is he has a track record of obedience. That he has been obedient in the small things. And it's enabled him, equipped him, if you will, to be obedient in maybe the bigger things. We first saw Philip in Acts chapter 6. When the apostles were looking around and said, hey, we need new leadership, a different kind of leadership to help out with the needs of, of this movement of us as, as the church. And Philip is one of those men raised up. He's described as filled with the Spirit. He's faithful to God, loves God. He has God's uh, ministry and mindset in mind, and he wants to, to follow him wholeheartedly. In other words, he's been faithful and shown himself to be faithful with the smaller things, and over time he's been given more responsibility. He takes the gospel, after all, to Samaria, a region that he naturally has no identity with, and does amazing things there, and God uses them in amazing ways. And here's God saying, okay, I've got something else for you. I want to use you in a, in a in a different way. And Philip says, yes, I'll go. And he goes. And we know the end of the rest of the story, how God uses him and how God blesses him. But I think Philip's response here uh, is an opportunity for us maybe to examine our own hearts and lives. Are you being faithful in the small things? You be faithful with what you know to be uh, following and trusting him today. Reading your Bible, praying, uh, loving your neighbor, thinking about other people. Are you being faithful in the small things? Because this is why that's important. Someday big things are going to happen. You're going to encounter something that, that's really going to feel like a step of faith. It's going to feel difficult. It's going to feel awkward. You're going to be pushed out of your comfort zone because something is happening to you or because maybe God is calling you to something else. In light of that, it's so much easier to trust him when we have a track record of being faithful to him in the smaller everyday things in our lives. And Philip is a good indicator, a good pointer of that. Something else to notice about Philip in this uh, episode here is how obvious how God and the Holy Spirit are at work in everything that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch are experiencing. There's no way that these things are a coincidence, that it just happens to be working out this way. There's too much detail going on at the same time. I mean, how else do you explain what's happening? For God to say, you know what, Philip, I want you to go to this place, this desert region. Yeah, I know you've never been there. And I want you to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. And yeah, I know. Uh, You all look completely different. Uh, You have different cultures, different backgrounds. 
uh, different income levels, um, and you've never met, but yes, I want you to talk to him about the gospel. And as you go along there, you're going to find that he is uh, responsive. It's, there's no way it's a coincidence that he just happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah, and he just happens to be at this section where it's so blatantly obvious uh, that he's talking about Christ, and Christ is the, the one, the individual that's being talked about here. And it's no coincidence that they just happen to go along and they find this place where they, he can be baptized. There's too much coincidence. There's, it's, there's no way it's a coincidence. The Spirit of God is working in the background of all this. God is orchestrating. God is setting all this up so Philip can just talk and just show up and be present and just respond. I mean, this is, if you're a, an evangelist, a missionary, a pastor, a Christian, this is low-hanging fruit. I mean, you just... He's just inviting you. He's got all the questions. You just respond to him. And what's beautiful and interesting about this passage is it, conversions are not new in the book of Acts, okay? Peter's got up and preached. The other apostles have, have preached and proclaimed Christ. Philip's proclaimed Christ. And all these people uh, step forth in obedience. They step forth in repentance and they want to be baptized. But this is one of the first accounts where we see the details, where we're, the, the author narrows down and says, okay, I want you to to understand what this conversion experience looked like. And because there's so much details here, there's a couple principles that we can pull out. And pastor or author Tim Keller helps us uh, with a number of them. For one, God gives us divine appointments. God gives us divine appointments to talk about himself, to get involved in the people's lives that are around us. It's obvious here. Uh, Philip has given this divine appointment. It's been set up for, for days for him to do this and experience this with the Ethiopian eunuch. Are you looking around at your friends, or your coworkers, family members, and you seeing maybe there's some divine appointments here? Maybe there's some God orchestrated moments where, for I need to to step into and ask some questions, or to pray for them and see what God does with it. Or invite, or to encourage. God gives us divine appointments. Things don't just happen randomly, but God is orchestrating things way beyond anything we can comprehend. The second thing is, we can't factor out people who are different from us. We can't factor out people who are different from us. These two individuals, the eunuch and Philip, are very different. And yet, God says, you know what, Philip, I want to use you in the life of this man. Just because somebody is different from us doesn't mean they should be pushed off the radar screen of our lives and how we think about them and how we can move towards them and how God may use us in their lives. The third thing is to think about this. How does Philip get the ball rolling, so to speak, as he's talking to this eunuch. He asks him questions. In other words, that, that, that Philip doesn't come and move towards this, this Ethiopian eunuch with his agenda, with a presentation. He doesn't talk at him, but he talks to him. He's interested in what he is interested in. He's taking where he is at right now, and he's saying, let me come alongside you, and let me fill in the gaps, so to speak. He doesn't treat him as a project. But he moves towards him with the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
That's Philip. And that's what, some of the things I think we can learn from him as we think about uh, ministry. Let's think about the uh, eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. And the thing we learn about him is that he doesn't really say a lot. And most of the things he does says are in the form of, of questions. How can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? Whom does this prophet talk about? Why shouldn't I be baptized? All these questions the eunuch has. Well, think about uh, some, this from this perspective. It, it should be kind of a surprise to us that the eunuch is asking these questions, that this Ethiopian eunuch is asking these questions. And this is why I say that. First, we learn some things about this Ethiopian eunuch. For one is, he's in a position of power, and he's in a position of wealth. He's basically the queen's CFO, Okay. Uh, he's high up in the food chain. And to get to this position, he's had to make some pretty significant sacrifices. He's had to sacrifice some body parts so that he could be doing what he's doing. He's not royalty. He's not part of this royal family. And so to uh, keep the trust and ensure the trust of, of the royal family, some things had to be taken away, so to speak, okay, so he could be trusted. He's a man who's made a lot of sacrifices, And he is a man who has a lot of wealth at his disposal. If you're living in that time, most people, to travel, they walked. That's how they got to places, they walked. If you had some money, maybe you had a donkey. If you had a little bit more money, maybe you had a horse. But if you were really wealthy, you had a chariot. This Ethiopian eunuch has a chariot. It's not like he's driving the Mercedes of his day. But it's more like he's driving the private jet of his day, okay? This is a man of significant wealth. And the, the reason I say we should kind of be surprised by him here is that this. In spite of all those things, his wealth, his power of position, he's looking around and he's wondering, is this it? Is this all that's out there? There's a sense in which there's an emptiness. He's, he's searching He's looking. In spite of all the stuff that he already has, his power, his wealth, he's still asking questions about his life. The second thing we know about him is this. These questions are making him spiritually curious. Because he's basically said to the office, he said, you know what, I'm going to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be gone for a couple months. Y'all are just going to have to live without me here. I'm going to do this. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he gets to that temple, and he wants to worship, he's not going to be welcomed with open arms, so to speak. He's going to be told by the leaders there, you can't come inside uh, because of your condition. Uh, you've got to be over here. You can be here, but you've got to be outside uh, here in the temple courts. We see that as he's being spiritually curious. But from this side of, of the Bible and what we know about God and how he works, God is spiritually preparing him. God is preparing him to have open ears and be receptive to this gospel. God is already at work in his heart and in his life to convert him. Think about your own conversion. How God used different circumstances, different people, to bring you to a knowledge of himself. The things you maybe you were frustrated with, wrestling with. All those things God was using to say, hey, there's something bigger here. I really am alive. I really am true. You really are who you are. And my gospel is really true. My good news is really good news for you. 
Well, we know even though he, uh, while he's in Jerusalem, we can imagine this because he's, he's leaving Jerusalem, he's going home, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, um, which would have been pretty unique. I mean, it costs money. They didn't have the Gideons back then, okay? And so to have the prophet Isaiah here, this is a pretty big deal. And we can only assume that he started from the beginning. He heard Isaiah's call into ministry. Uh, he talked, read about the holiness of God. He read about the, the sinfulness uh, of people uh, there in that community at that time. And he just happens to be at this spot where he's reading about uh, the suffering Savior, suffering servant. We know that it's descriptive of Christ and uh, what uh, he does later on as we read about him in the Gospels. But he happens to be at this point, and he's reading this out loud, which wouldn't be unusual to read out loud. And there's this dude kind of walking jogging by him, asking him questions. And we see how teachable he is at this moment. Because he doesn't rebuff him, he doesn't ignore him. But he says, you know what? This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm reading. Do you have any answers? Come on into my chariot. Let's ride along. Let's, let's talk about these things together. And that's what they do. Philip has this easy opportunity to talk about the gospel. He says, well, what's being communicated here is talking about Christ. And this is why he's talking about Christ. He goes on to talk about uh, the life of Christ as we read about him in the Gospels. But go back and put yourself maybe in the shoes of this Ethiopian eunuch for a moment. Here he is talking, hearing about Jesus who experienced uh, deep injustice, who experienced deep humiliation in his, his death. And this eunuch gets that. He knows about injustice. He knows about humiliation. In fact, he can just reflect upon earlier on, a couple weeks ago or some time ago, as he's in Jerusalem, being marginalized and being pushed out. Because he, no, you can't come in here. You can't be here. You don't belong here. He understands those things. And so for Isaiah and for Philip, and to be presented with this Jesus who experienced deep injustice, experienced deep humiliation, he gets that. He understands that. He can see how that would be relevant in his life. Let me close with, with this. Think about it like this, maybe. Imagine uh, you as a church are frustrated with me as a pastor. I know it's hard to believe that I would ever disappoint you, okay? But imagine that, that one slight second, okay, that I've disappointed you, and you're frustrated, and you say, this is it. We're done with him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to his house during the day, and we're going to burn it down, okay? You go, and you burn it down, but later on, you find out that my wife was in there and she died in this fire. Okay? You get arrested. You're in jail. And I come and vis- visit you, not because I'm like, oh, my goodness, I want to see grace and mercy in your life. But I'm angry at you and I'm excited that you're getting what you deserve here in jail. And somebody comes to you, one of you comes and say to me, you know what, Pastor, we need $2 million to get out of here, out of jail. And I look at you like you're crazy. I don't have $2 million. And if I did have $2 million, I'm not sure I would spend it on you. And then somebody just pipes up and says, you know what, Pastor, I know somebody in town. And uh, they kinda have, they're a little sketchy, but if you were to sell one of your children to them, you could get $2 million and you could get us out of jail. Now, there's, I'm probably not going to be likely to sell my child, nor i be likely to, to give that money to you to get you out of prison. But God did. God did give up the thing that he loves the most for you. And for me, because he loves you. He knows your sin. 
He knows what you did last week, what you did last night. He knows what you're hiding. He knows the shame and guilt. He knows it all. And he says, I'm still going to die for you. He knows our cold-heartedness. He knows our distance. He knows how we escape and how we run or run away. We're scared. He says, I love you anyway. You're mine. I want to forgive you of your sins. I want to change your life. I want to give you real hope, real joy, real contentment, real peace, real life. In a couple moments, we're going to be going to this table. And this table says to us, there's been somebody who has known deep humiliation, deep injustice for us. And he invites us to himself so that we can be changed So he can take all the brokenness and he can make us different. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you weak, insufficient. We come to you um, struggling. We come to you dirty. We come to you broken. We come to you with a desire for more of yourself. Father, as we think about uh, our, our lives in your, from your perspective, nothing is an accident. Nothing is a surprise to you that you've orchestrated it all. You've even orchestrated us being here at this moment in this place to partake of this meal so that we can know your grace and however we need it. Would you minister to us? And would you move towards us? And would you change us? We ask all in Christ's name. Amen.